Do we got some first-time visitors here? If you're a first-time visitor and this is your first time ever in this place, would you stand, please? I ain't gonna make you say that. I'm gonna put you on the spot. I just wanna say thank you for coming. You know, this is this is our house for this uh, two hours. Congress Heights Community Church. We uh, we actually rent out this space from a community of hope. And so anytime somebody come in your house, you want to welcome them. So welcome. Thank y'all for coming. So I, I kind of want to know what, what type of audience I'm preaching to, right? So I'm going to ask y'all a question. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a fight. I'm talking about when you threw some punches. I ain't talking about no argument. But when you threw some punches and you had to fight. A lot of people in here, right? Well, growing up in D.C., I've gotten into a lot of fights growing up. I'm going to share with y'all about one. I'm going to be a little transparent about to share with y'all about one I lost. <laughs> so I was in the 10th grade. And I'm not making no excuses. Well, yes, I am. I was... <laughs> I had just started lifting weights. And so my muscles and everything was real tight. And it was this guy, he, he knew karate. And he, he, I guess he had the wrong impression of who I was because he would just try to antagonize me and antagonize me so much. And I was like, okay, enough is enough. And me and this brother, we started fighting and yeah, he got the best of it, right? You know, he was kicking and everything. I blocked the kick, but, you know. And, and so I know I lost the fight because the people I talked to, I asked them, I, I was like, well, what happened? And they said, they said it was a tie. <laughs> now, you know you already done lost, but they said it's a tie, right? And so uh, now I'm telling y'all that story for a purpose. Uh, the following summer, I was part of a summer youth program that Marin Burry has started um, at Coolidge. And basically the, the basketball team coach and the, um, the football team coach, they put this thing together where we was getting paid basically for working out. Um, and so it was this one guy, I plant, you know, we was practicing playing football and he's hitting me extra hard, right? And then uh, on the basketball court, he's fouling the mess out of me. And I'm like, you know, what is going on? Found out that this dude was the regional kickboxing champion in the area. He actually was the karate dude's cousin. <laughs> and I didn't know. Nobody told me. And so this guy was my enemy. And nobody told me. And so what I'm going to try to do today, y'all, is I'm trying to expose some enemies so we won't get Pearl Harbor, right? So I want to expose some enemies of the faith. So the title of the sermon is God the Sower who knows your heart and the enemies of his word. So my scripture is going to come from Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 15. So if you got a Bible, you can turn to it. Uh, they'll be showing some of the scriptures up here, so you can follow along up here. If you don't have your Bible, if you got your phone, feel free to pull it out. We're going to go through these scriptures. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. And so just to give y'all a little context, Luke, he's a follower of Jesus. 
Uh, he didn't follow Jesus during the time of his life, but Luke was a historian. So he went back and put together what he said is an orderly account. Uh, and so, um, you know, Luke was also a doctor, so he's really detailed, right? So uh, Luke 8, 4 through 15. This story is called the parable of the sower. I'm reading from the ESV. We'll be in the ESV mostly, so. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now here Jesus gives the explanation of the parable. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that and the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So picture this, uh, a farmer, again, reaching in his bag full of seeds and just throwing seeds. And some are falling in different places, right? Uh, so for you basketball fans today, I got three points. I'm being Steph Curry today. I got three points. Point number one, God is the sower. Point number two, know your heart, know your enemies. We're going to spend some time on that one. Point number three, God's word bears fruit in the heart of the true believer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to stand before your people. I pray, Father God, that you would use me as a microphone today to speak to the hearts of men and women, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would plant seeds, that you would water seeds, that you would get the increase, Father God. Let your glory go forth, Father. If there's somebody in here that don't know you, if there's somebody that's listening on the podcast that don't know you, I pray, Lord, that you would save their souls. Lord, if there's people in here who do know you, and I do know there's people in here who do know you, Lord, and people that will be listening that do know you, I pray, Father God, that they will be convicted and encouraged. Pray all that in Jesus' wonderful name.
Amen. Amen. Point one, God is the sower. So I'm going to read verses 9, 10, and 11 again. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And so when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, so I'm going to start off, so what is a parable? The parables of Jesus were earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Jesus taught his listeners valuable principles by using examples and situations they would have been familiar with to explain spiritual truths that a lot of the listeners would have been unfamiliar with. So Jesus is using the familiar to explain the unfamiliar. Verse 10. He said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. See, the kingdom of God involves truths that are beyond mere human insight and wisdom. The secrets of the kingdom of God refer to the spiritual truths that God hides from some and reveals to others. Parables also have a type of parallel purpose where they confuse some and draw and save others. God's word is good news to some and is judgment to others. This verse is also prophetic, meaning it's a verse that was spoken in the past before the birth of Christ by the prophet Isaiah being fulfilled at this moment in time in history by Jesus. Approximately, Jesus preaching this approximately like 700 years later. So I'm going to go back to Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, where it was first spoken. Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So for some of Israel, this would have been a judgment because they refused to learn what had been previously, would have been taught previously and totally missed the revelation given to them by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Let me hear y'all repeat that. The seed is the word of God. Jesus wants us to know that the seed that the soil went out to sow was the word of God. But notice Jesus doesn't explain what Jesus doesn't explain. Jesus doesn't tell us who the sower is. The reason I believe Jesus doesn't explain this is because I think it should be obvious to all who the sower is. If the seed is the word of God, then it should be obvious that God is the sower. It's his word, not man's word, not the prophet's word, not the apostles or the disciples' word, but it's God's word. It's the words that come from the very mouth of God, the word that brings light and life in Genesis chapter 1, the very word that brings understanding and judgment. 
It contains the secrets, the spiritual truths of God's kingdom. Secrets that can only be spoken and revealed by God himself. Some people may read this very parable and think the sower is the preacher or the evangelist or the Sunday school teacher or the faithful parent that teaches their child or children the word of God. And they may think this because of this parable and how imprecise and inaccurate and haphazard the sower seems with the seeds, throwing some in the thorn bushes, throwing some on the rocks, throwing some on the path where people walk and birds eat. Yes, God does use people to spread his word, preachers, evangelists, faithful parents, but they are unable to discern hearts. They are only tools the sower uses. They are no more the sower than a seeding machine as a farmer. But what about the carelessness of where the seed seems to land? Well, like I said before, God's word is judgment for some and a fire escape for others. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And I shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. John 12, 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So let's not get it twisted, family. God is definitely the sower, sowing the seed of his word. Point two, know your heart, know your enemies. Luke 8, 5, we're going to go back to the text. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. He gives the explanation in Luke 8, 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This path represents the first heart. It seems to be like a hard path where the soil was so hard 
that the seed had no possibility of taking root, but sort of just like laid on the surface of the earth for the birds to eat. Sort of like it fell on the sidewalk. Um, we would call this first heart the hard heart. Now, let's talk about the first enemy of God's word that's mentioned. Enemy number one is the birds of the air, the devil, or AKA Satan. Satan means adversary. He is God's adversary. He is man's adversary. He is not some clown in a red suit holding a pitchfork. <laughs> First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I remember I was watching National Geographic and there was these lions just roaming around and they seen this one elephant that was lagging behind because he hurt his legs some type of way. That's how the devil does, just lurking, just waiting. And verse nine commands us to resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. While Jesus came to give us abundant life, Satan, AKA the thief, comes to murder, steal, and destroy. Many of us in here, you don't have to do a lot of convincing us that the devil is real. His odor is very familiar to us. I remember when I was in third grade and a sixth grader named Willie from California killed another sixth grader named Dirk with a butcher knife after experiencing months of unchecked bullying. Sixth graders, y'all, that's demonic. Or how about the, the YouTube video of the woman who was a nanny caught on tape standing on and kicking the baby no bigger than my little Gracie? That's satanic. Or what about American slavery, the kidnapping, rape, and torture of a whole nation of people? Or Jim Crow? Please, let's not forget Emmett Till, y'all, and how bad he was beaten for supposedly whistling at a white woman. Or raise your hand if you ever heard of Murray Turner. She was a black woman in Brooks County, Georgia, who protested the murder of her husband who was lynched. Murray Turner had also, who was also eight months pregnant on May 19, 1918, was beaten by a mob, hung upside down from a tree, and her body was set on fire. They took the knife and cut her baby from her body. When the baby fell from her belly, it released a cry. And a member of the mob took his foot and crushed the baby's skull. What about George Floyd, who was choked out and murdered on social media, live by, by the knee of a police officer? Or what, what about any girl or boy who was molested or raped by a family member? Do you know that all abuses of authority distort how people view God? Yeah. It's an attack on God, satanic. How about the crack wars that, most, that many of us live through? The pure havoc that the crack epidemic has had on many of our lives and families. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention all the shootings of kids that's been happening in our, in our community lately. There's a mural on, Malcolm, on MLK and Malcolm X of a six-year-old Nia Courtney killed in a drive-by. All this is satanic. 
The snake, the rat, the cat, the dog. How you gonna see them if you living in the fog? One of my favorite movies of all time has this quote to say about the devil. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world that he didn't exist. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In this particular parable, he's shown to be a bird, an enemy of God's word. He flat out hates God's word and is willing to do everything in his power to distort it. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis 2.9. This is God. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit or the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is why Jesus calls him the father of lies. He is the original false teacher. That's why I can say to you all, false teaching is satanic. False teaching is satanic. I don't care if they come off as cool or emotional as Furcon. Or, or what's that guy named in Philly? Geno, Geno Jenkins. Or if they come off as smiley and friendly as Joe Osteen or Francis Chan. Or if they full of personality and charisma like T.D. Jakes or Stephen Furtick. Or if they are as popular and supposedly relevant as Michael Todd or Sir Jakes Roberts or as articulate as Rick Warren or Jamal Bryant, if they, are not teach, if they are teaching contrary to the word of God, they are serving the purposes of Satan, who is the sworn enemy of God's word. The fruit of false religion and false teaching is destruction. Think about it. Why do you think we have so many religions? Who is the author of all these religions? If there's one God, why well, is about a thousand some religions? Satan. And he uses false teachers to do his bidding. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he warns the folks about some false, fake superstar teachers of his day. He actually refers to them as super apostles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. But I'm afraid that just as, Eve, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. 
Look at verses 13 and 14. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. I encourage you all in your spare time this week to read Luke chapter 4, 1 through 12, and see how Satan misused God's word in order to tempt Jesus. Matter of fact, Luke 4, 10, 11, Satan says to Jesus, it is written, he will give his commands, he will give command, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So that's Satan talking to Jesus, y'all, using the word. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put your Lord God, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Satan essentially tries to trick Jesus into committing suicide by misquoting to him Psalms 91. And if Satan would try this trick, on the greenest tree in the garden, Jesus Christ, what do you think he'll do with us? What do you think he does to us on a regular? This is why it's so important for us to know the word for ourselves. Know the word for yourself. To my unbeliever friends who are here listening by the way of recording, Jesus makes it clear about the repercussions of not submitting to his word. John 8, 42, 40 through 47, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, he would love me, for I come from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Listen to this scripture as the Bible speaks again prophetically and gives us, us today, a warning we need to be aware of. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and wander off into myths. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says in the third chapters of Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Let's make sure that our own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning us away from the living God and his word. Let's return to the text. Luke 8, 6. And some, still talking about the seeds that's being thrown, thrown out by the sower. 
and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Luke 8, 13, Jesus gives us the explanation. And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Heart two, we're going to call it a rocky heart or the shallow heart. We find this parable in the other two Gospels as well, Mark and Matthew. I'm going to read Mark's account. Mark 4, 16 through 17 says it like this. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Notice the Lord wants us to know the surface that the seed of God's word is being sown on is rocky ground or shallow ground. The seed takes root for a second, but the roots don't go deep enough to sustain life. It shows some signs of life, but it, it quickly withers and dies as soon as the sun comes up, bringing no fruit whatsoever. So these folks are genuinely moved and encouraged by the word, and for a while, they look like believers. But when the test comes to show who they really are, these false converts are able to see their true colors. The word test in the Bible means to examine, investigate, prove, scrutinize. Proverbs 17.3, fire tests the purity of silver and gold but the Lord tests the heart. Like gold, our faith is tested by fire. Literal fire tests gold and other precious metals. And metaphorical fire, trials, persecutions, sufferings, that's what tests our faith. Faith means to trust in God. It's easy for us to say we trust in God when, when nothing going on. It's easy to have joy when your life is honky-dory, right? Our faith is valuable, and God wants to refine it. Just as gold is refined by fire that burns away impurities, likewise, persecution and tribulation refines our faith, which is far more precious than gold. Tribulations are the troubles, trials, and various trauma that we go through. Unemployment, loss of a loved one, terminal diseases like hypertension, COVID-19, diabetes, lupus, cancer, having a stroke, sickness, death to a loved one, etc., etc. All these are a few examples of trials we experience. And a lot of these trials are 10 times worse for our brothers and sisters overseas. Persecution, on the other hand, is the hostility, harassment, ill-treatment, oppression that's brought to harm us by other human beings. It's when we are treated negatively because of our faith. This can include hostile feelings, attitudes, words, actions. This, too, is multiplied times 10 for our brothers and sisters overseas. Which brings me to enemy number two is the world. When I say the world, I'm not talking about this planet. 
The world is a system created by the fall. It's a system of ideas, beliefs, and methods that are all contrary to God's kingdom. And anytime a believer chooses God's way of doing things, he or she is destined to face opposition and persecution. Also, we live in a broken world, y'all. A very broken world. We live in a world in which we are confronted with human diseases, despair, and death. Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 15, 18 through 21. This is Jesus again talking. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you kept my word, they will, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know me or who, know him who sent me. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say some, he didn't even say half. He said all. If you live a godly life, you will be persecuted. You will have difficult trials and tribulations. You can count on this. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Who likes to be persecuted? Raise your hand. Yet, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. What is that? Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God, the physical world itself is subject to corruption and decay, according to Romans 8.22. As a result, we have all types of things going on. Tropical storms, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, forest fires in Canada. <laughs> all that stuff is occurring all over the world. And these are things that we're going to deal with, y'all. Let me give a, a, a biblical example of tribulations that we, go through, that we might go through as followers of Christ. How many people here are familiar with the book of Job? Based on this new dress from Jesus. Job is a story about a godly man who went through many traumatic trials and tribulations. He lost all 10 of his kids in a windstorm that collapsed his older son's house. 
He had his whole body covered in boils that changed his whole appearance. He lost all his wealth to thieves and, and disasters. That's some trials, right? Job is also an example I use for persecution. The scriptures call Job a blameless man who followed God with his whole heart. Yet he went through his various trials. He was accused by sin by his friends, friends who were supposed to be believers. Man, they were scrutinizing him. He was abandoned by his wife. She told him to curse God and die. That's persecution. I'll give y'all another story. And, and this one, I'm, I'm gonna come from a different angle. Uh, Mark 16, 17 through, Mark chapter 6, 17 through 28 is the story about how John the Baptist got his head chopped off. But we're not gonna talk about John the Baptist. I wanna talk about King Herod. King Herod, he loved hearing the gospel from John. He would go down to the jail and say, and listen to John <laughs> preach. And he had joy when he listened to him. And he recognized that, her, uh, that John the Baptist was a man of God. He recognized this. Verse 20 says, For Herod feared God, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. He just like a seed that we're talking about. Verse 26 and the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to his daughter. So basically, his daughter did a dirty dance for him, and he, you know, in front of all these people, told her, I'm going to give you whatever you want, even up to half the kingdom. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And instead of saying, no, he's a godly and righteous man, I can't do that, he like, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of all these people for not keeping my word. And so he did the most unrighteous thing he could. He had this man's head chopped off. What all of this means for us is that it's someone in this room right now suffering some sort of persecution. It's someone in this very room right now that is going through some sort of trial or tribulation. I'm not talking about something that's a result of some sort of sin you committed. You done cursed out your balls and now you done fired you. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about some type of ill treatment or hostility that's being aimed at you because you named the name of Christ. It could be discrimination, harassment, abuse, punishment. There's someone in this room who could be dealing with some sort of disease, disability, depression, ailment, loneliness, abandonment, loss, all because we live in a broken and fallen world. If you name the name of Christ, these things are in your life to test you, to show you your heart from the God who knows your heart. Hold on, do not quit, do not give up. It's just a test. It's to show you that either you're for him or you're against him. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
The next heart we are going to talk about is heart number three, which we will refer, refer to as the thorny heart. Luke 8, 7, going back to the text. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. Jesus gives the explanation in Luke 8, 14. And as for those, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Our last enemy, number three, is the flesh. Or we can say the last enemy is ourselves. Or we can say it's the sin nature. A thing theologians call indwelling sin. When I use the word flesh, I'm not talking about the literal meaning referring to the skin on your body which covers your bones. I'm referring to the human appetite and desire to be satisfied by things that are contrary to trusting God. I'm talking about the things the scripture is talking when it says the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But when our soul becomes preoccupied and overly dependent with the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world, we are no longer in harmony with God. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, listen to this, it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Remember Judas? <laughs> One of Jesus' disciples who actually betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver? Yeah, he walked with Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. He said, man, I'm turning this dude in. When I was 20 years old, I was working at a giant grocery store in Rockville, Maryland. One of the main reasons I didn't go to church back then was because they would pay me time and a half when I worked on Sundays. If you asked me back then, I would have told you I was a Christian. But I definitely wouldn't have stopped working because I desired to want money more than I did God. Just being honest. So many times when I share the gospel with young people, they would use their youth as the very excuse why they won't come to church. They don't want to walk away from what they think is fun or pleasure field. They don't want to put that thing down that is appeasing their flesh. You could be in here right now and be so distracted about your plans after church or what you want to eat or answering a text message on your phone that you aren't hearing anything I say. We must be wise to know the difference between a need and a want. Bottom line, do not allow the weeds of this life, your cares and pleasures, choke and strangle the word you are hearing. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-12. But, God, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For well, we brought nothing into the world, and we, can't, we cannot take anything out of the world. I've never seen a, uh, a storage unit connected to a hearse. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, 
into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money itself, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It, ha it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Fight the good fight of faith, y'all. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a, there's a fight. Fight the good fight. These three hearts, the hard heart, the rocky heart, the thorny heart, are all hostile and dead to God's word. First Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Our brother read this scripture earlier, Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things. Somebody in here probably say, God knows my heart. <laughs> yes, he knows your heart. And listen, listen what he says about it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. And the three enemies of God, the devil, the world, and the flesh, have one huge thing in common. All three have the purpose of sustaining spiritual death. To be spiritually dead is to be separated from God, and any separation from the source of life is naturally spiritual death for us. All three enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, are meant to alienate us and harden our hearts towards God. But, here's the good news, y'all. The gospel is God's plan for salvation, which brings me to my final point. Point three. God's word bears fruit in the heart of the believer. Luke 8, 8. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's the explanation. As for that in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The last heart we are gonna talk about is the honest and good heart. The good soil represents the honest and good heart that has been changed by God. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and put with and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
This is the type of heart that causes everything good in the Christian life to grow. Good stuff like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, repentance, obedience to God. This is a heart that has been forever changed by the Holy Spirit. It is the type of heart where the seed of God's word takes root and grows because the Holy Spirit has prepared it and cultivated it and made it fruitful. This is something we cannot do ourselves. While he may use man to share and spread his gospel, God is the one who gives this seed increase. The seed that produces creates salvation in a heart. That's, he uses this seed to create salvation in a heart, in a heart that's been made new. See, the Bible teaches that the only good heart is a heart that's been changed by Jesus. When Adam, the first man sent in the garden, he ushered in death for all humanity. God's command to Adam and Eve was that they could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. It came with that warning that disobedience will result in death. The phrase, you shall surely die, could be literally translated, dying, you shall die. This signifies a continuous state of death that began with spiritual death and is paralleled with physical death. We are born dying, y'all, like a flower that is pulled from the ground and placed in a vase. It's just a matter of time. As the representative of the human race, Adam carried all of humanity into his sin. So it's like a football team. When one person goes offside, guess what? The whole team is penalized. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so, so death spread to all men because all sin. But it's not just because we're on a losing team that we are spiritually dead, but our own sinfulness contributes. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 teaches that before salvation, we are all dead in trespasses and sin. You don't have to teach a baby to lie. Ask them, did you eat the cookies? No, cookie crumbs all over their mouth. Who taught them that? That's in them. That's in them, just like all us. Matter of fact, raise your hand if you never sinned before so we can pray for the life. We are all born dead in sin and completely unable to trust God or his word. In Jesus' words, in Jesus words to a man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. We all must be spiritually transformed from above. John 3, 6, 16 through 18. Y'all know this scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect sinless life, this Jesus that he gave lived the perfect sinless life, who was murdered, not for anything that he did, but for all the sins that we've committed, past, present, and future. This Jesus, who is Lord, didn't stay dead. 
he rose from the grave three days later and showed himself to be the savior of whoever puts their trust in him. He promises they will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, don't get it twisted. Whoever believed in him, believes in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Friends, this is the judgment that light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than light. So they resist coming to the light. Do not resist him. Trust in Jesus. That's the gospel, the good news. The Lord Jesus is a savior who, who renews bad hearts. The Bible doesn't teach that people have good hearts, but that people with hard hearts can be created new. I got three more verses, then I'll be out of your way. Just want to give y'all some application, right? I said earlier, this parable is written in the other three gospels. So that last seed, we're going to cover all three real quick, just that one verse. So I'm going to start in Matthew. Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. So that, that's our first application point. We want to fight to understand the world. We want to be thoroughly familiar with it. We want to apprehend it clearly. We want to know the character of God. We want to know his nature. We want to grasp the significance of each verse. We want to know the implications of that verse, the importance of those verse. We want to understand. Mark 4.20 But those that hear that were sown on the good soil are those are the ones who hear the word and accept it. So not only do you want to understand it, but you want to receive it. You want to accept it. I understand you got a gift for me, God, but I don't want that. No, you want to accept it. You want to take it as your own. You want to recognize this as an obligation for yourself to accept it. You're obligated. Luke 8, 15. As for the, that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. Hold it tightly, y'all. Guard and protect the word. Cling to the word as though your life depends on it. Pray these things. Pray for understanding. Pray to, for acceptance. Pray that you hold it tight. Preach these things, Pernell. Preach. Go out on the street corners. Tell people. Tell your co-workers. Preach it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit has spoken. Pray my strength in the Lord, y'all. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, again, 
This word was for all of us, including myself, Lord. Continue to build us up. Continue to let us speak truth one to another. Father God, this word is not just for non-believers, but it's for, for those that claim Christ too, Lord. Help us to understand your gospel. Help us to continually accept your gospel and help us to hold it firm, Father God. Lord, again, I thank you for the privilege. I pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.